<laughs> Don't worry about it. Mine anyway. All right, everybody. Bless you. Yeah. 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 King of the universe has sanctified us through his commandments and has commanded us to embrace ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, I our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring, the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Bless the Adonai who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Bless the Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the nations and gave us his Torah. Bless the Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Let me turn off that so we get a better deal there. How's that? Ooh, intro. Very nice. Alright, so, right. um, so in keeping with the in keeping with the expectations that have been set, <laughs> we will uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about Gematria. So a couple of disclaimers up front. First, I'm not a rabbi. Disclaimer number one. <laughs> disclaimer number two, I'm certainly no expert in Gematria. <clears throat> uh, disclaimer number three is this is a whole kind of body of study in and of itself. Um, we're just gonna skip right across the top. But, you know, so <clears throat> um, there are so uh, another disclaimer would be uh, if you if you're not of the view um, that the numerical uh, values of Hebrew words and letters really have any merit, then You're not have you, know, you can <laughs> just, you know, uh, Chill. Play, play a video game on your phone or something while take My take generally is this. Um, I certainly, obviously, certainly believe that Hebrew is the holy Tongue, right? The Lashon Kodesh, as, as it said. I, I, I am of the opinion that when you're looking at a page of Hebrew, it's not just the the Alpha um, that has significance, but I think, in certainly in the Paleo Hebrew, the hieroglyphs would also have some significance, and the numerical values I think can also have significance. Now. Where does all that fit in the pecking order of inspiration, right? So if you think about just the, the body of of Jewish literatures, you know, we have obviously the Torah, which is top hands shelf. down top shelf, right? Uh, we have the Tanakh, um, which is uh, sort of next. Uh, I certainly would put the Apostolic writings in that, uh, in a similar category there, but then you get into quote-unquote oral Torah uh, with respect to Mishnah um, and, uh, and then later um, Gemara um, all the way down to Bach Kol and other forms of inspiration from, from Hashem. So um, that's all. Did it go to sleep? Press your shift key. So, uh, 
Oh, is the little HDMI signal mean something? Probably. And well, it's not playing anything, so. It's a loose one. Taxes and strengths. Is it over here? That's got to be. There we go. That's cool. Now that is cool. What's cool? That's the whole Gamatria thing right there. That's kind of capitalistic right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's in a skate. Just blow on it. It'll probably work. Blow on it. <laughs> you shake it, blow like on it, roll with your shirt. And then put the cartridge back into the NES. Try starting the slideshow wheel. They should make a slideshow pointer than one of those orange Nintendo guns. If you unplug it, leave it, and then don't look at it. Don't touch it. So, my my current take is this. I think that I think that the the Gamatria can be another tool that we can use to help understand and, and gain insight from, uh, from, from Torah. I think that um, it, could, it could probably also be overused to a certain extent. In fact, there was even some debate among various um, uh, rabbis down through the ages. Some, some were Rashi, a big example of this. Uh, Mr. Bartos, how are you? Uh, Rashi would be a good example of this, where Rashi used Gematria, but at the same time he also was in the camp of cautioning not to overuse Gematria, that sort of thing. Um, we know that Gematria certainly was used in some form or fashion going all the way back to the um, to just before the Mishnahic period. How far prior that it, it was used as a tool to help you know, glean sight, not sure. Certainly, down through the ages, um, it gained more prominent uh, use um, when we have the sort of growth in, in Kabbalah and then later in Hasidim. Um, and in those particular strains of, of practice, it's used a lot more. So, Isn't there some gematria or something going on when John refers to the anti-Torah man as having a number, sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's no. I don't think any of us would would debate that God is 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 clearly a God of numbers. Yeah. Right. I mean, we see the use of numbers. We see numerical patterns all throughout Scripture. Right. And um, in God invented, you know, God, God invented math and mathematical concepts, right, right along with everything else. So, um, so clearly, there's something there, right? Uh, to what extent you sort of tap into that or adhere to that, you know, mileage may vary. So, those are sort of just a couple of upfront initial comments. What I thought we would do is um, really look at again some of the. Some of the ways that the uh, some of the ways that the Hebrew alphabet has been thought about, just to break thought down through uh, down through the, uh, the centuries. So here is a quote from the Tanya, 
right? So this obviously the Tanya is uh, oh, something that was uh, that's used primarily in uh, Hasidic um, Hasidic forms of Judaism, uh, sort of an esoteric um, commentary. If the letters with which heaven was created were to remove themselves for an instant, God forbid, and return to their source, the entire heaven would become an absolute vacuum. Um, here is a quote from, uh, from the Talmud uh, pertaining to Bezalel, which we just read about. Bezalel knew how to combine the letters with which heaven and earth were created. For it is written, Exodus 31 3, I have filled him with godly wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And it is written, Proverbs 3.19, Hashem founded the world with wisdom, he established heaven with understanding. Um, this is a cool one. It is known in Kabbalistic literature that the letters of the alphabet were created, first of all, thereafter by use of the letters, the Holy One blessed he created all the worlds. This is the hidden meaning of the first phrase in the Torah, in the beginning God created et. That is, God's first act was to create the letters from Aleph to top. <laughs> right? So that's kind of a cool idea. Um, so let, let's just let's look at that real quick, just to make sure everybody understands that. So now I'm going to use, I'm going to write the script because I can, it's faster for me. So if we think about what's the first word of the so Bereshit. So Bereshit. Okay. So Bereshit. Second word would be. Ara. Ara. Third word would be. Okay. I'm just going to write the numerical for that, so that I don't have to erase it. It's not a problem. And then we have the fourth word, which is okay. yes. right? So that's Aleph Tav. So basically, what he's saying here is the Aleph Tav represents the first letter, last letter of the, al of the Hebrew alphabet, right? So in the beginning, uh, created God the alphabet. <laughs> and, and without the alphabet, which formed the words that God used to speak everything else, there would be no creation, right? So, kind of a kind of a cool <laughs> idea. Um, does everybody get that? Yeah. Yes. Comment? No, never mind. No, go ahead. It's Let's like, make this interactive. Because that's a really cool concept. I read it's in the right in the introduction of the Zohar. It has it has that that concept because. Um, there's kind of this male-female aspect going on. Right. And what goes into the womb is actually just the entire Torah letters, all the strings of just the whole alphabet, and it's turned into the universe. Anyway, I just want to say it's good stuff. It's cool stuff. Um, the 22 sacred letters are profound, primal spiritual forces. They are, in fact, the raw material of creation. When God combined them into words, phrases, commands, they brought about creation, translating his will into reality as a word. Uh, that's uh, Rabbi Sherman from Alphabet. Um, so again, just that whole concept of these are the building blocks of creation. Um, a couple other 
ideas here uh, with 10 utterances the world was created. I wrote five. That should be familiar to us. Um, uh, Rabbi Eliezer Ben Hisma said, astronomy and gematria are like the seasonings of wisdom. That's also from a book. So this, of course, is interesting because we know that Avot is uh, Mishnah, right? So at the very least, we know um, that first, second, third century, the common era, there was clearly a concept of Gematria at that point, right? Which really means, in in my opinion, it it preceded that because the Mishnah were ideas that were being discussed prior that were then sort of written down um, later. So, uh, and then finally, the words of the man, that is Solomon, upon whom the Holy Spirit rested, to to ETL, and then Midrash interprets as one who understood the letters of God, Midrash Michelet. So, that's a Midrash on Proverbs, basically saying Solomon knew the secrets of how to, you know, how to use and interpret the Hebrew letters. So, so again, just kind of laying some groundwork, some some groundwork here of, of how um, Judaism has looked at the alphabet, you know, uh, down through time. So they hold it obviously in high regard, um, and so you know you, you even get into the construction. Of letters, right? So, for example, you know the aleph, right? It's two yuds and a vav, and so I mean, there's and there's all meaning to that, and so forth. So you can get really deep, very, very quickly. Um, okay, so all of that to say, premise number one, from a from a Jewish break standpoint, the numerical values have a level of inspiration. Uh, quote from um, Rob Ginsburg. The assumption is that numerical equivalence is not coincidental. Since the world was created through God's speech, each letter represents a different creative force. Thus, the numerical equivalence of two words reveals an internal connection between the creative potentials of each one. Um, that's a quote from his book, The Hebrew Letters. Also, highly recommend it. It's a little heady, but it's a good book. Premise number two is uh, even combining words or phrases. Uh, so you'll see Hazal will sometimes take a word and rearrange the letters, you know, um, and, and kind of do things like that. But the premise is that, you know, um, words or phrases that share the same Hebrew letters essentially share that same core DNA that those, those letters represent, right? And then you can derive meaning from that. So everybody with me so far? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So here is, you know, here is, uh, what verse? Just Bereshit. Yeah. So there is, uh, there is Bereshit, Mirage, Elohim, Elohim, Etz, Hashemayim, Etz, Haaretz, right? And just your standard Hebrew block. And then here it is, you know, uh, you know, converted to its absolute uh, value uh, in Gematria. So the question is, which is that bear sheet or is that bear sheet? Nine thirteens. Nine thirteen. Yes. So bear sheet for a Right. 
So people like people like Rob Ginsburg, who I've been um, studying more of lately, uh, you know, he is his secular studies were mathematics. He's a PhD in math, right? So he's got this sort of natural bent. So, but but he's also a Hasidic, you know, you know, a Torah scholar. So when he looks at a page of Hebrew text, he sees the matrix. He he, see, he sees <laughs> this. He sees this, yeah. right? Um, just as much as he sees that. So it's kind of it's just kind of it's kind of cool. Um, all right. So 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 what I want to do now is kind of describe. Um, we're going to talk about the three primary methods of Matria. There are many. Uh, there are actually, as I kind of got into this, I didn't appreciate how many different methods there are, but these three that we're going to discuss uh, now are the primary uh, that you'll see used more often, uh, starting with the uh, absolute, what's called the absolute value or in Hebrew, Mispar Herachi. Uh, you might also hear it referred to as the normative value. And that's simply every character, each one of the 22 characters, um, uh, or 27 if you include the, the five final forms, each one of those has a, an agreed upon, you know, an accepted value that's been accepted for you know, going way, way back. So you use the accepted value for each character, you add up the characters in the word, you get the gematria of that word, that would be the absolute value of that word. Okay. Uh, then you have the ordinal value, which is the sparse sidori, uh, which actually uses the uh, the gematria is derived from the position that letter has within the 22 characters of the alphabet. So, um, so for example, um, a what would be a good example? So, if we thought about so so uh, aleph through Tav would have their normal 1 through 9 values. Uh, Yellow still have a 10. Aleph through Tet. You mean Aleph through Tet? I'm sorry, yes, thank you. Aleph through Tet, thank you. Um, you would still have 10, and then your Kaf, which would normally be 20 under the absolute value, be 11. would be 11, so forth. So it's based on what position that letter has in the order of the 22 uh, Hebrew characters. That makes your numbers pretty tiny. Yeah, so your, your gematrias are going to be smaller values as a result Which of that. Which may be equivalent to what yeah, English gematria style would be. Like, not really not, we don't obviously do gematria, but people will do codes and the types of things based on, like, A, equals, a equals 1, and yeah, right. so forth. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's actually a good point to make, too. I mean, obviously, Hebrew is not the only language that has numerical equivalents. Greek also has a gematria, mm -hmm. numerical equivalent, Arabic. I mean, there's various other languages that, that have this, this uh, as well. Um, the last of the three primary methods is what's called reduced value, or mispar, mispar value just means number, mispar katan, and that's where uh, you basically take the the absolute value and um, and reduce it using modulus nine. For anybody who remembers, mod nine. What's that? Mod nine. Mod nine. Yeah, there you go. What is mod nine? So mod nine, nine is the leftover. Divide by nine, and it's the leftover. Right. So I'm sad that not get any 
So 10 is 1, 11 is 2. You divide by 9, and whatever the remainder is, is um, the number. 28 is 1. Oh. <laughs> uh, not oh, oh. Sometimes it could be 1, it's clock, 2. It's clock. But now you're even smaller because you'll never get a number bigger than 8. Just make sure a clock is 9. Never get a number bigger than 8. <laughs> That's just not. Because if it's 9, it's 1. Uh, no, no, 9 is 0. 9 is 0. <laughs> it's, only as, it's only as big as 9. It's only as big as 8, right? 0 to 8. No, That's one, zero would be 9. 1 through 9. 9 is one of them. <laughs> really? Just like 12 is on the clock. Yeah. It's like 12 is on the clock. Write that down. So here is the, here's a chart of what the characters, uh, the absolute value chart for each character. So, you know, Olive through Tets, 1 through 9, and then you go 10, 20, 30, etc. to 90. Then you go 100, 200, 300, 400. Now you'll notice these are the final forms. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and the final forms can have these larger values, or they can have just the the the, same, the value of the regular form. Right. Actually, I find more often that they they keep the, the regular value, uh, but occasionally you will see them with these larger values. Right. Uh, also, Aleph can sometimes have a value of, of a thousand. Normally it's just one, more often than not it'll just be a value of one, but occasionally um, huh. it'll have a value of a thousand. And, and they they derive that from the Torah. There's I can't remember how they get there, but you know, there's a verse somewhere that they've well, it's like exegeted the, to... Isn't it like the same it word? It is. Yeah. I think it's a thousand Aleph, right? So they can make that connection. So that's the absolute value chart. Um, here's the ordinal value chart, right? So you go um, 1 to 9, 10 to 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and then you have your final forms that, that can, can be you know, 23 through 27. So what this, what, this, what, what this does is it forces you to memorize the order of, you know, the Right. Yeah, going back to the one before, the, the absolute value, um, I believe if you go to your uh, Hebrew psalm book, you'll find the Hebrew side of the, the chapter numbers, oftentimes associations with like the yeah, uh, the verse, uh, the verse, no, the verse numberings. I mean, so like if you get to Psalm one nineteen, which is incredibly long, you'll see a lot of the letters, you know, showing up as the markings next to it. Right, um, because they're counting up, and it goes higher than your normal chapter would. Be. Right. Um, and then this is what the reduced value chart looks like. So, Aleph through Tet are same value one through nine, and then Yud through uh, Zani are also one through nine, etc. And it fits perfectly. That's cool. Twenty-seven, nine, three times. Somebody was there. Why nine? Because there's Probably twenty-seven. Because nine is magic. <laughs> 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 Write that down. Nine is. Well, there magic. are three nines in a twin. You know what three is? Um, three is. Three is, is magic. Actually, like when, when I say the word magic, word magic it also just triggers a thought. <laughs> it's probably worth stating, especially for anybody who might be listening in Gaston or somewhere. Yeah, and that is. Um, you know, when I was in the other camp, 
back in the day, right? You would always what sort of hear. Right What's that? <laughs> Which camp? In the the visible expression of the church camp, uh, you know, there was always this paranoia around numerology, right? Right. Um, Especially after the Bible code. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and one thing to one thing to state up front is Judaism does not use repeat that again, they do not use gematria to try to predict the future or any of that. Okay. They simply are using the value of the letters and words and phrases to connect concepts, okay, based on this idea that it's a good point. That that uh, you know, that the equivalence is not coincident. Okay. Um, so here are a few of the other methods. Um, well, we talk about each of them. So the triangular value actually, is, it, I'll, I will d- digress for just a minute on that. This this is cool. value. So the triangular value um, really kind of starts with this idea that. Um, the, way, the way Rob Ginsburg describes it is you have algebra, right? Remember, he's a PhD in math. So you have algebra, which is kind of ways to express certain mathematical relationships, right? And then you have geometry, which is really sort of um, the, the forms, yeah, kind of the forms, right? And, um, and, and essentially, his, his whole point is that Within the Torah, um, you have you have ge- ge- geometric patterns, hmm. and the two common are triangular and, and triangular patterns and square patterns. So, so for example, if you were looking for uh, the square of n, the formula for that is n times n plus one divided by two. So so let's let's so so for example let's say we're looking for the triangle of the number three, right? We apply the algebraic expression. So we're going to get three times three plus one divided by two, which ultimately equals six, right? So how do you how do you then show that as a geometric you know form? You would have one, two, three, four. I'm sorry. One, two, three, four, five. No, if I can just count it, right? So there is sort of the triangle of the number three would have six points, right? Okay. And and what Rob Ginsburg describes is if you if you see a if you see a triangular pattern of the Torah, a lot of times what will happen is you'll, you can look at this letter and this letter and this letter and they, they'll form a word or they'll, you know, they'll form something that you can derive meaning from. Right? And then the square value, of course, is a similar concept, but if you took the square, if you took three squared, right, that's obviously nine. So how do you draw that ge- geometrically? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Right, and so maybe you know maybe these letters suddenly sort of hmm. may may suddenly stand out and form a word that can be um, 
you can derive meaning from. So, so this takes that the, a lot of these theories probably are one of the, the premises would be that not only are the letters themselves important, but the spacing between letters, the the spatial um, proximity and relationship to each other are critical. Is that true? Because you, you can't like take the four corners of the four letters unless that matches up on every Torah scroll. Or am I misunderstanding it? Or not um, well, so the space between letters. So in other words, like, if I'm understanding your little triangle thing, the triangular value, um, those dots represent letters. Is that right? Correct. So you can't be off, like you can't be sloppy in your calligraphy, or else the letters would be off on one another. Right? What's well, well, not a shape? You, you don't draw, scroll, you don't right? draw the triangle on the scroll. It's the numerical value of the triangle. Oh, okay. Six. No, right. Okay, never mind. There's yeah. a corresponding letter, not necessarily a pictorially okay, represented gotcha. diagram of the It's letters. not the royal letters. So you, Where are you from? How did, Stony? So how did we arrive at the triangle then? You find a number, a word that equals six, and we decided that was a three triangle? Is that? These are the ones he's not going over, right? Right, yeah, okay. these are the ones that are not going <laughs> over. <laughs> probably, oh, probably big big mistake. Pandora's big box. mistake. But the mathematician is out here, and he's, he's going, that's right. cool. <laughs> so, so now it's spelled out. I think the uh, the way uh, and, and again, I'm back to my disclaimers. I'm not a guru here, right? So uh, I can quickly get in over my head right here. But the way um, the way I the way my understanding of of these sorts of methods today is is if you find a phrase like um, like Ginsburg will find a phrase in a psalm, for example, that um, is a triangular number. Right, meaning it, it fits this formula, right? Or it's a square, right? And so you could then take, you know, the the, the words that made up the phrase that got you the triangular number or the square number, you could arrange those characters in a triangle or in a square, and you may find unique sort of uh, coolness. Coolness, right? Right. So anyway, that uh, we 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 went farther on that than I really intended to. But then there's these several other um, methods. But again, the three primary <laughs> ones are the ones that you will see most often, especially the absolute value. I mean, that's the, by far the most common. Um, all right. Any uh, any other comments, questions so far? And so so if you're reading a commentary, would the would the commentator actually say that? I'm using the Sparabona A. No. No. They just do some math. They assume, if you're, if you're studying commentaries that are using lots of gematria, you they, must they assume that you already have some sort of work. All right. Jonathan, uh, Jonathan quoted in the Humash, like, you know, five or six tour portions ago, that, like, the, the whole page equaled, like, the, the gematria for Emona. So... I said it. You were saying <laughs> when you apply Move those beats. one of the, the modular <laughs> methods, you could derive something significant or meaning from it. Is it typical that, like, which way does it typically go? Does it, is it typically like these two words or these two phrases, without going into gematria, seem to indicate some meaning, and then we're going to check it with gematria? Or does it ever start the other way where someone's like, 
I don't even care what these words are. I'm just going to look at their values and then afterwards determine if there is meaning. Like which does it usually go both ways or is it one way in Judaism? Uh, that's a great. That's a great question. I I don't know that I'm at this point qualified to really answer that. But I guess in my experience, it seems to uh, it seems to be more the former. In other words, you're seeing something in the written text that tr- that's causing you to dig farther, okay. right? Some relationship or something. Why is this worded or whatever? But that's not to say that that's the only yeah. way it's approached. It seems like like Rabbi Nachman typically uses it as like proofs. It's like if yeah. this point wasn't enough, let's look at the numbers. That's a really good point. Is yeah. the numbers bear it up? Right, right. Which is cool. If you see if you see something in the text, a lot of times, gematria is often used as a way to confirm the understanding yeah. of the point. Right. So, uh, which means it's also used in all four layers of part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you can, you, know, you can kind of look at it in all four interpretations. Um, so, here is a uh, here's a simple example. Okay, so we have a Hebrew word here. Who knows what that says? Shalom. Okay, so shalom in the absolute value, right? The shin has a Absolute value of 300, Lamed 30, Bob 6, and then because this has a final form, it could have either 40, which would be the, the normal absolute value, or you could use the final form, which would be 600. So that the Mashri of Shalom could be uh, 376 or 936, depending on you know which uh, form for the mem you use. And, and that's, I intentionally picked a word that had a final form so you guys can see how that plays into it. Ordinal value, right? So you have uh, the shin, which is the 21st letter in the alphabet, along with the 12th letter, 6th letter, and then mem is either 13 or 24. So your ordinal value for, on, on the back of the is 52 or 63. And then reduced value, you know, is 3, 3, 6, and either 4 or 6, right? So you end up there. And you've You've answered the question that Taylor asked, which is why they chose mod 9, because the absolute value resets at 9 with each multiple of 10. Right. And so the reduced value is just not using the multiple of 10. So that's how we can get 3 and 3 and 330, and all looks cool. Yeah. 4 and 6. Yeah. That's cool. All right. So... Everybody with me? Yes. So now what I want to say, that's basically, I mean, very high level, very skimming across the top of just kind of basic concepts in in Gematria, right? So what I thought I would do for the last part of the class is um, is, is maybe share some some, some cool um, Gematria pertaining to, since we're still kind of in this Purim Pesach season, uh, some some luxury pertaining to um, Purim and Pesach. So, shifting gears a little bit. So, with respect to Purim, we have this key theme in Purim, which is this idea that nothing is really as it seems. Um, and, and the sages get this concept 
from Esther 9, where there's this phrase, uh, Esther 9 verse 1, where this phrase in Hebrew, uh, which is translated in art scroll as it was turned on its head. And if you go read the, con the context there, it's basically sort of summing up that you know Haman had sort of intended all this stuff, but you know it was turned on its head, right? And, it, and for, they pick up on this, and so there's this theme, and you know if you um, uh, there's some commentary on it in the, in the tractate Megillah. There's also some commentary on it in the Midrashim as well. But it's this whole idea of in Purim, nothing is really quite what it seems on the surface, right? There's kind of something else going on. Things, you know, good, maybe, maybe it's good, maybe it's not so good, bad or evil. Maybe it's not that bad, maybe you know, all of these ideas, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's a, a, there's a story, a story in the Talmud, that kind of picks up on this idea of things being backwards or upside down. And it's a, a story in Pesachim um, 50a about this uh, this person, Rab Yosef. Okay? And the story basically says that Rab Yosef became very ill. Uh, and Rab Yosef, by the way, is the son of Yehoshua ben Levi. Um, and he becomes very ill and essentially goes into this deep comatose, essentially dies, but then he comes back, right? So almost sort of this resurrection thing, right? But when he comes back, his father, Yehoshua ben Levi, asks him, you know, son, what did you see on the other side, as it were, right? And um, his response, Rav Yosef's response is, he, he says, I saw Olam Hafokraiti, which is translated as an upside down world, and the and the 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 uh, discussion in the Gemara goes on. He gives some examples, you know, and he gives examples like, you know, people who were exalted in this life were made low, you know, in that life, and mm -hmm. people who were, you know, kind of lowly in this life were exalted in that, you know, gee, where have I heard that before, right? Um, but he but he talks about how the world to come is really if you think if you if you if if you take the view that Alam Haba is the real reality and this is some something less than the it's a mirror or it's a shadow or it's something a little bit less than the real reality that that essentially things are almost opposite um, there as compared to here. Right? I so saw just, that Star Trek episode. So it's, it's this uh, so it's this, this idea. But what happens is um, in, in the gematria, uh, there's some cool gematria that, that comes out here uh, in this concept of Olam HaFok Raizi. Um, and it also has some, some sort of cool connections to Messiah as well. So, um, so what what we're going to do here is um, I'm gonna oh let me do this because you guys can read this. I have the um, 
Got an absolute value chart. Takes one passing round. Okay. Oops. Oh, sorry about that. So we're going to do. Uh, we're going we're to practice. So I'm gonna write. Um, it comes in every scheme. Can, can you write bold, 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 please? Bold, bold, block. Bold, um, I'm not gonna write block. Block, and not, not block, but just use that pen and make it bold. You can barely see. You should bold in So, what's this word? Rob. 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 Somebody give me the gematria. What's the value of Raish? 200. What's the value of a... 202. 202. Thanks, Pete. I got it. Got you guys. On the ball. No, just let's not use the final form, just the regular pay. That's fake. 80. Oh. 80? Yeah, I knew that. So uh, 76 plus 80. One. 156. 156. Yeah, 156. Got it. Michael County. Got the ball. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, if we take, if we take uh, the sum of the two words, what's the total value? Uh, 358. <laughs> 358? <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's the significance of 358? It's also the if you add up the, if you add up the gematria of those letters, three fifty eight. So Rob Yosef has the same gematria of the of the word Mashiach, right? Scary. So, so there's you know so in Hebraic thought in in in, in, in the way Azal would look at this is they'd say okay. So there's a connection, and now I've got to try to figure out What's what the connection is, hmm. right? And maybe I can, maybe I can figure it out. Maybe I can, but there's there's a there's a potential connection here because we have the same demonstrative. Okay. Now, if we take um, if we take the uh, the phrase olam uh, olam hafok ra'iti upside down world. So uh, we would have uh, Olam, Olam and Okay. So Olam. Six. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
What's your watch say? Seriously, Gramatria of Olam Hafuk Reniti. Rafiki, which is also like a fortune teller. Okay, so Raish is 200. Yeah. Um, Aleph is 1, 201. 201. Yud is 10. 211. 211. Uh, we have a Tav, which is 400. So we're 621. 621 all together. 621. Like that? Oh. Yeah, Android. <laughs> so if we add up those three. <laughs> 
We all could have guessed that. That was a <laughs> predictable. So what is what what is so how does how does how does uh, what's this one? How does how does Judaism understand this? Well, okay, Rob Yosef is somehow you know somehow like the Messiah or somehow connected to Messiah in his in his experience where he died and came back to life, right? He, he says, he describes the, the, that the Allahabad, the other world, is this upside-down world which has this gematria. And when we take Mashiach and using the Mispar Shemi, and we spell out the letters that make up Mashiach, we have the same gematria. So the connection, one way to interpret the connection, is that essentially Mashiach is also not going to be what we would expect think he's going to be. He's going to be he's going to be opposite of maybe what conventional wisdom might expect. Um, he's not going to um, behave as it were necessarily the way one might think he would because he's connected to this this concept, right, and this experience of you know the, of Rabbi Yosef, right? So <clears throat> So, that's, that's um, so what does that all have to do with? And by the way, here is the uh, I'm making us sort of go through the yeah. exercise, but yeah, there's the there's there's yeah, I feel better than you. So, um, so the so the the connection back to Purim is again, if Purim has this idea of everything sort of turned on its head. Nothing is what it seems, right? Um, God's there, but he's not, but he's hidden, and you know, all of those things, right? And Messiah is, is also sort of not really what everybody expects him to be. Mm -hmm. yeah. is, is, uh, what are the connections there? 
All right, now. Um, and of uh, course, when you're looking for things like this, I would assume that some of these numbers are just pretty well known. Like the new Gematria from Mashiach is probably something that everyone who studies you say, knows. If you walk into uh, certain you know, uh, Orthodox groups and, and say 358, I mean, yeah, I mean, everybody. Come on, make four moves, of course. Um, if you say 26, no, uh, if you right. say uh, uh, 86, everybody knows that's, you know, Elohim's so another an, another example uh, of this as it pertains to uh, Purim, we won't work through this one because I think everybody's probably um, familiar with this one already. But uh, the whole concept around Boch um, Mordechai and Aror Haman, right? So Boch Mordechai two twenty eight plus two seventy four totals five oh two. Haman four hundred seven ninety five five hundred two. That's why. That's why we. That's why we have. That's part of the reason, or, or lends under further understanding to this tradition that developed. Right? Why do we get to a point where we can't really distinguish between the two? Because the gematria is telling us, on one level, they're the same. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, you know, and people will say, well, how could that be? How could Haman be anything like Mordecai? Well, because things aren't what they seem, right? What's good may not be as good as we think it is, and what's, what we think is evil may not be as bad as we think it is, right? And Haman, who on the surface is this evil, diabolical character, how is he equated to a blessing like Mordecai? Because he causes God's people to return in, in repentance and to, and to rely on God. So Haman is a blessing. He's a blessing in disguise, as it were. Right? Hmm. So that kind of comes out in the gematria when you see that these, these ideas are connected. Right? Um, let's, look at, uh, let's look at another one. So we're gonna, now we're going to look at, um, we're going to kind of come in, we're going to kind of bring in the concept of, of exile and redemption. Okay? So we have... Um, we have uh, Jacob's good life in Egypt, right? So when did the nation first go into exile? First, what was the first time they went into exile? When they went down to Mitzrayim, right? And um, Genesis 47, 27, which is the last verse of Parsha Vayigash. <coughs> um, so we're now descending, right? God, God showed up, told Yaakov, don't fear, I'm going to descend with you, all that, that whole thing. And that Parsha ends with, Thus Israel settled in the land of, of Egypt, and they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Right? So it kind of, that Parsha kind of says, All right, we've descended to Egypt. We're now in exile for the first time in our history, but we're actually being blessed hmm. in exile. Okay? And the very first verse of the next portion, which is Parsha Vayakim, which is the last. Parsha of the book of Bereshit starts out, Yaakov lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So naturally, because I'll say, well, why 17? Yeah. Um, and one of the connections they make is, well, 17, 17. 17 
it has the gematria of Tob. In other words, it's, it's saying, look, we went down, we descended to Egypt, and we're being fruitful, and we're multiplying, and we're being blessed, and Yaakov finishes out his last 17 years living, living quote-unquote, the good life, as it were. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's kind of a, it's sort of a good ending to his, to his life. Um, so, in that sense, Egypt is a blessing to Israel, right? Now, if we um, if we look at a couple other things in, in the Demetria, okay, um, well, let's, let's take this concept of exile and redemption and let's link that to Purim and Pesach, right? So if you think about Purim, that is, um, that's equated with the idea of, of exile, right? Where were we? When we celebrated Purim, okay. we're we're still in Galut Babli. Most of us are, right? right? Um, Pesach is connected with the idea of Geula, of redemption. Okay, so how are these connected? Right. Well, in the Gematria, um, we can see a connection. So if we if we look at um, if we look at if we say okay, Galut. Um, right. Oops. Okay. So Balut and Was that a man. coup? Oh, man. 296 plus 40. Bob Resch, you So now we have, what's this word? So you have to give me redemption, so give me the numerical value of that. Three plus K. What's a K? That's an olive. That's an olive. One, that's four. Ten. Ten. Lamed. Thirty. Forty. No, Bob's not ten. Forty-five. 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 Also, by the way, is uh, is one of the commentaries for the name. So, mm-hmm. so we have to stop that. Okay, Pesach. Pesach. Um, 
was that? 80. And 60 is 150. Yep. Plus. No, I mean 140. 140. Pay what's, what's that? Tyler. This is a hat. Oh, it's a hat. Eight. Eight. I guess I'm participating. Okay, I can't wait. This is how Mike and study normally goes. None of the numbers <laughs> add up. Uh, it it's add it's so add, add, so add down. So add, add the, add the gematria of Purim to the gematria of Pesach. What do you get? Four eighty-four. Okay. Add the gematria of Galut to the gematria of Kedushah. Four forty-four. Which, by the way, this also happens to be. Square root 22. So we have a square here that would have significance in that. Just to be a lot of dots. So, <laughs> so, so the point is this: Purim and Pesach are connected, are are you know are bound to these ideas of exile and redemption, right? <laughs> and you you really can't um, you know you can't really have one without the other, right? So, what are the implications? There is no redemption if you don't have exile first. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. I like it. Okay. I like it. So the fact that we went into exile in Egypt was actually a blessing, but in in this sense, right? Right. Again, it gets back to this whole concept of on the surface you wouldn't think that's a blessing, but it, it really it really is because why do we why do we need to have uh, it, we can't have redemption if we're not first in exile. There's nothing to be redeemed from, right? right? Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, in this in this idea, right, we have Adar, which is the month of Purim, comes before Nisan, which is the month of redemption, right? Mm -hmm. um, in the exile, you know, we 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 go into exile. To find Yosef. Oh, in the Egypt story. Well, that's true. But it's but even in what's the what exile are we in today? The, the Roman, Roman exile. Right, Galut Edom. Right. And what is one of the what's one of the teachings? Messiah is in the exile. Right. So we have this concept of Messiah is in the exile. In the exile. Yeah. And we go into exile in part. To hopefully find Messiah. In that sense, exile is a blessing because there isn't any, there won't be redemption until we find until we find Messiah in this in this something in sense, right? And Messiah, Yosef, right, brings um, he brings food, spiritual food in particular, and ultimately salvation, deliverance from from our enemies. So, in sort of a backward sort of way. Mitzrayim is a blessing to us, right? I mean, and, if, and even if you take it out of the con, even if you remove it from the concept of of an exile, and just think about, um, you know, think about Mitzrayim means constrained, or uh, it's kind of the idea or connotation of trial, tribulation, right? So even if you think about it in that sense, right? I mean, what's the purpose of 
trials and tribulations in our lives. It's often to, you know, to help to improve us, to grow us, right? To give us opportunities to grow, um, you know, uh, grow our character, grow our faith in Hashem, right? So in that sense, you know, um, those trials and tribulations that we go through, they're not fun in the, in the heat of the battle, but when you come out the other side and you look back, I know it's true in my life, I can often say, oh, yeah, you know, that really sucked at the time, but I'm a much better person for it. Right? It was a blessing to me in disguise. Yeah. Right? So, so you have this concept, you know, this whole idea of Purim being, um, you know, this, you know, we're celebrating Purim in exile. Um, but we have to have a Purim so that ultimately, you know, we can have a Pesach at some point. We have redemption at some point, right? So, um, so anyway, so I thought that was, uh, I thought that was kind of cool, I think. Um, I think that was all I had. Oh, actually, no, there is one other thing. So just to drive this point home just a little farther. We, if we take Galut Mitzrayim, right? So um, Galut. Um, yes. Yes. So if we take Galut Mitzrayim, right? We already said Galut has a gematria of four thirty nine. Somebody, somebody, give me the gematria of Mitzrayim. It's uh, forty. So far, what's it? 90? 90, 90, 40, 90 is 130, 200, 10, I don't know, 40. 200, 30. What's the number, Brian? people in the room that know the script. So what what, what does the top thing say again? Uh, Galut Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim. Yes. And then Galut Yamut is the bottom one. Mitzrayim. He died? Okay. So what's yeah. that one? Yes. Yeah. What is that? Uh, mem. Mem. 
Vav, Yamot. 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 which according to this thought is the period of time where Messiah will be and you can find he can come at any time well he well the time. No, it, uh, it's, not so much, it's not so much it's not so much it's not so much imminent return as it's more um, that the knowledge of Messiah would increase mm. right that sounds okay. like that's kind of interesting because in the last 2,000 years yeah. one might argue that could be true right so um so anyway, so that is just a few um, cool concepts in the Gematria that tie the season we're in now, you know, Purim, Pesach, Exile, Redemption, and tie those concepts to Messiah, which I thought was kind of cool. So um, that's all I got. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's, that is very cool. <laughs> So, again, this cool. But, you know, they started out by comparing this to the value of Mashiach. At time, I mean, I get it, and it's it's amazingly cool, but it seems arbitrary because I could have put rye toast and gotten a number of rye toast, and we could have done a whole thing on rye toast. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I sure like rye toast. Value, <laughs> yeah, you know. So, um, and if rye toast happens to equal three hundred fifty-eight, 
then we got a Messiah, you know, is <laughs> actually going to have uh, he's going to less right toast. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, but the point is, the point is there. So this is all obviously in the context of Torah study right, right. and Torah concepts, right? So when when they see Yosef. And they see. So they're familiar with the number for Yosef, and then they see the other way, and they're already familiar with that number. It's yeah, because to a certain extent, if you're if you're accustomed to thinking and looking at things like this, it becomes a mess almost. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, you see this number, and you're like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. That's also the value of this. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, as yeah. haphazard as there, making is it there out there some thing. connection? Yes, yes, yeah. and, Yes. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Well, yeah. When you start to dig deep into it, what you sometimes will find is that they'll have like one word will have the same numerical equivalent as a phrase, right? Because they're because again, these phrases and these words are well known; they're they're right. Right. commonly understood. So it's easy to jump to go from like, oh, there's that, and that's like this. It's kind of like it's not so unlike for us when we start talking about you know something has seven or forty, and we immediately connect it to the creation story or the flood or right. you know whatever. Yeah, I guess sure. It's amazing. I mean, it's it's astonishing. I, I had no idea there were so many different ways to put it together. But I mean, you just did the, the normal add the letters up stuff, and that was yeah. That doesn't even include taking a phrase and just take the first letter of each word yeah, in the phrase. Yeah, third letter. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, well, yeah, I mean, that's that's that might help kind of get the root of your question is how can you not or how can this that's be arbitrarily abused or you know what's really what what not boils down to it. Anyone can do this. Yeah. There, there is in the Siddur, um, right before you, you start Pazuki Vizima, there's a section called the 13 Rules. Yeah, and, it's, and it's right from. Um, it's right in the tongue. Right, somewhere in the tongue, I don't know where. But it's the 13 Rules of, of how you interpret the Torah. Yeah. And, and, and underlying it all is that it has to be understood. Like, no one is just making stuff up on their own. Okay. These concepts are. They have to be uh, like passed down from a teacher um, who got it from his teacher, presumably, right. and um, and so the, there there is a guideline of how you actually use any Torah study, let alone gematria, to actually reinforce a point. So so it's not as it's not as easy to to, to fake it till you make it. And you can't and you can't bring right toast into it because right. I mean, what do you do? Okay. That's very um, very cool. <clears throat> One interesting, so this on this resource, resource list, uh, one, you know, obviously Ginsburg, um, you know, is really he's got a lot of channels of creative. He's the PhD kind of math guru, right? His disciple, uh, Rabbi Ariel Cohen Aurora, uh, who studied under Ginsburg for I think it's something like twenty five years or something. Actually, he's actually a believer in Yeshua. And according to his own testimony, he got there from, the from studying Gematria with mm. Ginsburg. Wow. Because um, he, he said it's all over the Gematria, the, the connections. Uh, and no, so, <coughs> so where do I know that name Aloro from? From an email from Mr. You probably heard from <laughs> me because I've mentioned him a couple times. He's not the guy on YouTube, is he? Yeah, he's got some stuff. So, so does Gins Ginsburg has a YouTube channel um, and a website and about a Is the Laurel the one that wants to put Yeshua back on trial again? And yeah. Get him cleared? Yep. Yeah. 
He's hard to understand because he's got a thick, he does, thick Israeli. But, yeah, you know, accent. you listen to two, three hours of that, and you know, all of a sudden you start to talk like you don't understand the phone. That's the same game by osmosis. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, osmosis. Hang on, let me get you a thing here. I like the idea that it's used to reinforce concepts because if you just start making random connections, say the gematria for the word blood equals the gematria for the word nuts, so we shouldn't eat nuts, you know, or something like that, then you start to get really into dangerous territory. It's a whole right to scenario. Which is only okay if it has been Thank you, Adonai, our God, that you established our portion with those who dwell in the study hall, and you have not established our portion with idlers. For we arise early and they arise early. We arise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. We toil and they toil. We toil and receive reward. They toil and do not receive reward. We run and they run. We run to the life of the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction. As it is written, in you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as me, as for me, as for us, we will trust in you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well done. Amen.